Welcome to On Strategy Showcase. I'm Fergus O'Carroll in Chicago. As always, you can connect with me on LinkedIn. And uh, I am always happy to hear questions or requests uh, from listeners. You can reach out to me at hello at onstrategyshowcase.com. So we are in uh, 2023. A uh, couple of up no- upcoming episodes I thought were um, notable to mention. We are uh, going to be releasing an episode with the uh, great crew, uh, Lucy Jameson, at uh, Uncommon London for the British Airways campaign. That's going to be coming out soon. We also did a terrific episode with Icelandic Tourism. They've been doing some amazing work out of there for the the last couple of years uh, that's going to be coming we're also uh, we just recorded an episode with Folgers coffee this is a um an iconic uh at home coffee brand here in the US and it has been sort of evolving its brand expression in order to appeal to a sort of emerging uh, generation and uh that was an interesting conversation that's going to be coming out over the next few weeks too hopefully here all of these probably in january uh you know if all goes well uh we uh, also are talking with martin marcus collins uh he is the head of strategy at wyden and kennedy in new york he has a new book on uh cultural campaigns and uh, cultural strategy and marketing. Uh, we also have a conversation with Finnish. This Finnish is a dish detergent uh, international. Uh, they did this brilliant initiative called Glasses of Drought. It's won awards for effectiveness uh, all around the world. Uh, and they also have this other initiative called Water Index. Uh, it's out of Istanbul, Turkey. I talked with both the client and the agency. Uh, uh, Havas has the uh, account over there. A great episode that'll be coming out soon. And another one I'm excited about because it's sort of a different twist is uh, many of you may be familiar with Johnny Bauer. Uh, he was former chief strategy officer at Drogo 5 in New York. He uh, he moved over to play a new role at um, Blackstone. And for those of you not familiar with Blackstone, uh, Blackstone is a private equity and investment management company out of New York. They have about 300 different companies in their portfolio. And Johnny is now a global head of brand strategy at Blackstone working on this portfolio of companies, which is a really interesting twist in terms of a client-side role. It's like a major portfolio role. And he's been building a terrific team of top talent over there. And we're hoping to schedule something in later January to talk with uh, with Johnny. And lastly, I'd mention uh, uh, Keurig Coffee. Um, we're trying to pull something together with, with the team out of New York uh, because they have a really interesting story to tell. I just don't think many of us are aware of it and i think it's uh i think it, it really does sort of demonstrate the unique space that it exi- that it sort of occupies in that world so uh lots of great stuff coming up let's talk about today we talk with seth gaffney uh, seth is founder and cso at preacher in austin texas and marika uh, wigan is head of strategy at preacher and we have a conversation about the campaign for shake shack and for those of you not familiar with shake shack there's about i think about I think it's 240 different locations here in the U.S. And uh, I saw a, a new campaign launch recently, and I was intrigued by a couple of the executions, so I, I asked the guys to come on. They were faced with a really tough strategic challenge, which was uh, the client ask was to position themselves around quality. And obviously, that's a kind of a tough space in in uh, in QSR, quick service restaurants, uh, particularly given that uh, quality isn't necessarily associated with uh, premium value. And and so um, it, what was interesting about this case for me is how the uh, guys at Preacher 
elevated that idea of quality to a different space that could be uh, spread across the brand and across the business. We're going to hear about that today. So I'm excited for you to hear about that one. And then lastly, before we get started, I want to mention, of course, we have our 2023 sponsor kit on our homepage at onstrategyshowcase.com if you want to learn more about our audiences and our reach and about all we have to offer for 2023. You can download the document there. So this is Seth Gaffney and Marika Wigan of Preacher in Austin, Texas, talking about Shake Shack. Enjoy. Hello, my name's James Herman, and this is my best Fergus O'Carroll impression. But actually, I sound like this, and now that I got your attention, I want you to consider becoming a master of advertising effectiveness, which you can do with me on a six-week online program that'll give you a next-level understanding of how to make advertising that creates consistently better commercial results. Over the past decade, institutions like the IPA, the Ehrenberg Bass Institute, and Walk have used huge evidence bases to uncover what really works and how it works. And now all of that knowledge is yours when you become a master of advertising effectiveness. Our next cohort starts in April. Check it out at mae.academy. That's mae.academy. So the headline that attracted me to this campaign, because I was I was flipping through something, I don't know where I saw this, but I read this headline and I was like, ah, something interesting is happening here. And the headline was, anyone who tells you it will change your life is a liar. Anyone who tells you it will change the next 10 minutes of your life is not. And that is what led me to uh, Preacher and Shake Shack. So I'm very excited to have both uh, uh, Marika Wigan and Seth Gaffney with me. Welcome, guys. So happy to be here. We're excited. Yeah, thanks for having us, Fergus. So just for context, I I, I was just sort of flipping through some um, data this morning, just so that people who don't know Shake Shack, uh, maybe from different parts of the world, uh, although arguably you're probably far more international than many of the brands I'm going to talk about here. But um, just so for context, McDonald's has 38,000 locations around the world. Uh, Chick-fil-A here in the U.S. has 2,891. Chipotle has 2,966. In-N-Out Burger has 358. And Shake Shack has 360 locations across the world with 240 of them in the u.s so that those numbers may of course be a little bit different that's i just got that on the internet this morning um but there is something special about this this brand and something special about this experience i remember when i was working in new york i would uh, walk through madison square park on our way because our office was on 26 between uh 6th and 7th i think it was and so i would always walk through madison square park and i always saw this sort of kiosk type um building it looked like it was something from the a state fair but more polished and there would always be a line around it and i never could figure out nor that i have the time to stand in the line but that turns out to have been the first location for what we know today as shake shack so marika what is shake shack what makes it unique and why that name for me i think it's sort of this magic unicorn that i think they called it almost like an experiment that never should have been um but it is a fast casual restaurant that's got its start in new york 
Um, and that's where it earned that cult following that you were probably seeing as you were in that line where it's sort of been able to merge these two worlds of of that fine dining food, the prep, the hospitality, but really being brought to American classics like burgers and fries and shakes. I'd also say that another piece of the magic of Shake Shack is the ingredients that they use. And then one that probably comes to mind is the way that they talk about the meat blends for for their burgers. And that comes from some pretty deep culinary cred from the legend Pat LaFrida, who created this proprietary blend for Shake Shack. So when you bite into a Shack burger, that flavor that you're going to be getting is, again, I think those like key markers markers of what makes Shake Shack Shake Shack. And when, then, I, when I think of yeah. when I think of Shake Shack, I, I was always thinking, okay, is this a place where I get shakes? And and is is Shake Shack sort of a, a nod back to the fifties and Americana, or, or or you know why Shake Shack? Because it doesn't, you know. Well, you, I'll let you answer. I mean, there's a lore that uh, Danny Meyer, who if uh, listeners aren't familiar, is uh, from Union Square Hospitality Group, amazing restaurateur. Um, and fine he, dining restaurateur. It's fine important. dining restaurateur. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Wrote a book literally called Setting the Table on the Transformative Power of Hospitality. Um, there's a, I think it's fact, but certainly we've seen it, that he was watching the movie Grease and hearing the song, You're the One That I Want, which I, for your listeners, won't sing. Um, and that that actually is what, what he was trying to conjure up uh, with this Shake Shack roadside feel of a burger joint and you mentioning madison square park is um important and also not unique it's if you were around for that hype if you tuned in online to see how long the line was before you went at lunch break you've probably got that experience to tap back into but what we were finding and we'll talk more about this later is just how many people didn't have that as an orientation point for their experience. Um, and so for someone like me, I was there, but I still didn't even know the backstory before that. So Seth, who do you, who do you think, or who did they think is their sort of direct and indirect competition today? Um, I think they live squarely in fast casual, um, in terms of just quality price point. So, um, you know, it's probably spiritually in and out. Because that's yeah. where, oh, I mean, they're in it. And you see the debates and reviews online and in, you know, Netflix shows now. Um, there's room for both. Uh, I'd say Chick-fil-A is probably one that everyone kind of looks to and for as inspiration on how to have a scale that specialness, uh, as Marika said. I think if you look at volume, for sure, it's probably McDonald's and breaking into some of those occasions. And, um, you know, they when they started and I don't know if there's a love-hate relationship with this as much as just a, like, let's not get into our own semantic, you know, uh, nonsense is like, we're actually fine casual because we come from more of a fine dining thing. And then, and we just, I think that gets a little heady. And so we just think about what are the things like the quality ingredients and the, um, they call why, it. Why is, why is that? You, you, you felt that was too heady to become a strategy or are you, or, or are you saying it for some other reason? I think it's uh, ex to externalize it for that people that some people don't many people don't know that there's a distinction between fast food and fast casual, let alone fast casual and fine casual, let alone, you know, <laughs> right. they kind of they imagine fast food food and they imagine fine dining and, you know, honey, would you like to go for fast casual tonight or fine casual? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. 
Right. And so, and the, the, you know, we, I, I think there's been a big boost in terms of our relationship to chefs and food culture. And so the, the conversations can, I think, get pretty rich quickly, but they should just, they should be about the thing we're all excited about the food and the, you know, experience we're going to have. So you guys have, you guys were awarded this business uh, pretty recently. What was the business challenge you were brought in to help solve? Yeah, I mean, I think it was a straight up quality ingredients story that they wanted to tell. Um, and I, I, again, I think that comes back to what we've all been talking about, about sort of the, the background of where they've come and, and the the effort that they put into sourcing their ingredients, the care that they give into how they actually prep it. I will tell you a little later about how we got to jump behind and start to actually get into one of their kitchens and see how it's done and, and the care that goes into that. And they they just weren't getting the credit for it. And I think, you know, we're living in a category that expect people have been trained to expect a quality, and I'm using air quotes, quality burger to be $5. Um, and when you're going to a Shake Shack, a full meal is going to be closer to 14 So really helping people understand why they're paying more in a category that always tells them they need to be paying less. Uh, and I think you see that even in the in the advertising out in the world. And this word quality, I think, has been used and abused in fast food for forever, where you're like fast or fast food is like quality can be cheap. Quality is still all about we really care about our ingredients. And I think it's becoming wallpaper to people. So the job we were doing is how do we tell the story about quality ingredients that doesn't just stop at the ingredients, but find something bigger uh, and, and more of a brand story that we can tell within that. My initial reaction, uh, Seth, would be, damn, that is a little limiting that the ask is to talk quality in a category. A lot of people are talking about quality. Um was that how did how did you feel about it initially? Were you a little skeptical of it, a little worried about it, freaked out about it, or thrilled about it? <laughs> uh no, we were we were skeptical that that was the way we were going to um define the challenge for them and ourselves. Uh we were pretty fired up because the more you dope and you started to dive into Shake Shack, the more you become and quickly become a believer. So we just figured we have to find a way to link those two things up. Like what's going to unleash and unlock all the conviction we have versus what, as you said, might limit it or put, send it down a lane. And, and a lot of that was um, like many of the strategists do just think through, is there a different way to articulate what they're trying to accomplish here to put people in touch with something that they should get more credit for it without having to be arrogant or chest beat about it. And pretty early on, Marika kind of talked about, okay, so quality, as you mentioned, is got, uh, it's everywhere. It's wallpaper. It's literally in two or three competitors' taglines, let alone the fact that they'll tell you, look how much we care and look how great our food tastes. Um, we also talked a lot about value. And we talked about value as we enter, you know, uh, different economic times. And what we realized is those com those conversations were ones that were going to pigeonhole us into a place of probably comparison. And when we talk to people where they see Shake Shack is actually slightly elevated from fast food or just, oh, it's better, but it starts to be in this comparative place and compare, like when you're in it, you want to be a category uh, in your own, the comparison is actually not particularly helpful for you. Um, and so right. what we want to do is just think about, are there other ways that might unlock a conversation um, 
uh, and articulate the problem differently. And so we talked in those early days around, can we move from value or quality into a conversation about worth and why it's worth paying more for, why it's worth traveling probably a little bit farther for, why it's worth working there if you're an employee and it's, it could be easier to work at a different uh, restaurant, why it's worth you know the hype if you've kind of heard in the back of your mind, but are you still, you know, is it the same as what people have been saying when we all waited on that line back in the day? So I think that that was just a, a starting point word choice that then helped them see, okay, we're going to get to the food and that eating experience, but we're going to be able to pack it in uh, potentially with more meaning and feeling. So uh, Marika, why did, why did they think that they should focus on quality well, I think it's something that they really believe in. Um, they, their whole philosophy is stand for something good as a company. And I think that the the first foray anybody will ever have in, into it is the food itself. Um, and to them, I think that's where they're investing their, their money. And they wanted people to understand why, especially in a time when you're living in a recession and you've been trained to think that a, a burger should be you should actually get two burgers for two ninety nine. There's there's was a different story. Interesting. So it's the fact that you've got to justify your premium price, and the, the most direct way there is to talk about it from a quality of product perspective. You know, this morning when I was taking my daughters to school, I said, "Hey, I'm I'm recording this episode with Shake Shack this morning." They're like, "Awesome, cool!" And I, and I was like, "Girls, have you ever been to Shake Shack?" And because I have not personally, and they said, "Yeah, we were in the one down the city." And I said, "What's it known for?" And, and they said, "Well, it, it, it's got great shakes and great shacks." And and <laughs> And I said, what do you mean by that? What, what's unique about that? And they didn't know. They they uh, had this perception of it being, uh, being a fun experience, but they didn't know anything about it. Is that common that the name is known, but there isn't necessarily a substantive sort of reputation behind it? The people don't know the story? A hundred percent. Yeah, no. And um, what we shared in the first five minutes is more than, you know, the probably 90% of uh, loyal customers even know about Shake Shack. When we did some, we, we think that, uh, that is fast. I, I'm sorry to, inter- yeah. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but to me, that's, that's partly fascinating because it, what you talked about earlier was chef culture and, you know, we, we've Gordon Ramsified everything and she, and chefs have done a, a terrific job of making people more conscious of food and food quality and, and our ability to feel that we can, we can participate in, in good cuisine. But I never remember uh, Shake Shack ever being overtly associated with Danny Meyer. Was am I just am I just on too far on the outside? Even in New York, well, and in in New York, it may have been. But as it's grown, I've I haven't heard that association either with Chef Culture or with Danny Meyer that I remember. It just seemed that Shake Shack was there. I associated it by virtue of looking at its exterior and its design that there must be something special there. But I didn't understand that sort of background, that that credential. Um, did that was am I just no, an not, outlier? No, you're not alone. Um, in fact, you probably are still two two steps ahead of the average audience um, because most people didn't even associate with New York. Where's Shake Shack from? When we go out into the field and ask some in Texas. Uh, um, amazing strategist here, Zach, just went on a wild road trip and hit up a bunch of Shake Shacks and did intercepts. And he was like, I might have gotten California 
the most. I got Seattle and Austin as much as I got New York. And so, and, you know, some of those things are fine. You don't need to know full backstories, but, you know, th- there was a beauty in not needing to go into the depths of origin story in order to really become someone who was into it, but there was also a limitation in how much you would then spread your experience the way that, you know, for a while we were all going, oh man, the burger wars, and let's talk about this. And there was just a natural um, hype or excitement that they could, they drafted off, built off of, especially coming to a new market. And I think like a lot of brands, you want to make sure that, that um, it doesn't wear off and you want to give people new reasons without having to, you know, do 30 minute education. Um, and so you're not on an island in that case. And I love the daughter's story. And in fact, that's the type of thing that we were starting to get new um, energy and kind of excitement around was hearing the way people described their uh, experiences and relationships because it felt like we had more of a blank slate. In the pitch, Mariko, you guys get you get the uh, the briefing. Um, what do you guys do as a as a planning group to sort of better understand the opportunity or the challenge? Yeah, well, I mean, I think it was first us really familiarizing ourselves with Shake Shack, and so Crystal uh, Loyland, who is our one of our founders and spirit guides, she bought everybody Danny Myers setting the table book to make sure that we were all understanding the origin story of it for sure. And then I think we ate more Shake Shack than I think is probably humanly possible. Um, but then we just did did the did the job that I think Preacher's strategy crew loves doing most. And that was literally like Seth was saying, Zach, our, one of our strategists did a full Texas tour, really doing intercepts of people who were about to eat Shake Shack, literally eating Shake Shack and interviewing them mid-bite people who were leaving to understand what the hype was about and if there was hype. We also went into the culinary world and started interviewing some Michelin star chefs, uh, understanding sort of if for them, how they described it. And what I think was really interesting as we were starting to, to hear how people who knew Shake Shack and loved Shake Shack describe it, there was very little difference between Chris Shepard, a renowned chef, talking about the, the way he loved to Shake Shack from a 16-year-old who was going there on a first date and what why they chose Shake Shack as well. And so just finding that commonality of, 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 of love and like the descriptions people were using, those started to become some of the foundational elements that we started to use to understand that for Shake Shack to talk about the quality of ingredients coming from Shake Shack, it actually wasn't going to be as impactful as if we started to hear from the people that really loved Shake Shack. And so we leveraged some of that learning. We also saw inside of the research that Shake Shack had done how valuable word of mouth had been for them in terms of getting people to come in and try Shake Shack for the first time. So now we had all of these. And if you go on the internet, just like Seth said, yeah, there's going to be some like great debates about in and out versus Shake Shack. But when you get into the Shake Shack world, the quotes that we were finding from people on Twitter, on Instagram, talking about the love they had. Again, we were just like, there is a, a cornucopia of people who are talking about quality, but doing it from this emotional place, from this place of deep love that felt like, okay, we can build a strategy around around this because we know word of mouth works and we've got a ton of great things people are saying about Shake Shack. Were there strategic directions that you considered 
but ultimately felt weren't right? Or can you share any of that early thinking that led you to where you ended up with the, the early stage stuff? Absolutely. And I think that, you know, it's it's really helpful for us as strategists to be honest about where we find the the places that we're we're like, oh, that's interesting. And then it, we hit a, a dead end. And I think one of the first strategic notions that we had was this line of Shake Shack pleases the hardest to please. Um, and that kind of came from this interesting. Book. Yeah. And it was really about looking at still borrowing from some of the learnings that we had originally about you, you know, that like a, a chef who's coming off of a, a 12 hour shift is choosing Shake Shack, just like you're going to see like a picky nine year old with a very complex palate also being stoked on Shake Shack as well. I can see like a, a pick of a, of a chef, uh, you know, crouched down behind a dumpster in the back alley trying to hide the fact that, that she's eating this delicious uh, burger from Shake Shack. <laughs> well, you know, it's, it's hilarious. In fact, I think Shake Shack did a really good job of tapping into this like late night chef culture and they'd be sending post chef shifts workers Shake Shack so that, you know, I think there was actually a level of pride in going. For <laughs> sure. Shack. Hell yeah. Yeah. I, mean, uh, I think that might have been a script last <laughs> that we saw in the early stage because we did like that Michelin. You don't like you move away from that Michelin star thing and then you go, oh, yeah, but if those people isn't that enough to make me want to go. I remember one of the people who work at Shake Shack had mentioned like, oh, you know who loves us? Anderson Cooper. I hope that's not a secret. And he's like, and if it's good enough for Anderson Cooper, it's good enough for me. And you're like, yeah, isn't that how we all work? Like, and you start to think about not influencers, but like how the sphere of influence works from people who you just assume can eat anywhere they want and really like food versus what, how we're going to pair a celebrity or someone else. Keep going, Marika. It was just, yeah, uh, and I yeah. love it. And that was total. And so like, there was a lot of energy that was starting to circulate around that as a strategic way in, but it also felt like when we were just talking about not getting into the QSR traps of us talking about ourselves in the way that had lacked the humility and lacked that sort of like undercurrent of it's just, we do it because it's the, it's worthwhile, you know, and it so all of a sudden it felt like it was chest beating in a way that didn't feel truthful to Shake Shack. But again, it felt like it was only coming from us justifying why the price point was high versus sitting in the in the pocket of the emotion of how people are feeling when they're actually enjoying the food. So I, I think that for us, both creatively and strategically, we were like, I don't know, this doesn't feel right. Maybe there's a new angle we can take that starts to feel a little bit more truthful to all of those really important research findings that we'd had. Seth, anything you'd add to that? Any other thoughts on, on those early strategic yeah. directions? Well, I think there's just an overarching thought that a company that had been successful for almost two decades, like they're relationship with okay we're going to go out there and tell our story when others had been doing it on their behalf or it happened more organically is something that you're constantly trying to work through and so you sometimes get into way too humble spaces as well where it's almost like the food should speak for itself which is probably something everyone has written anytime they've worked on any food brand that they felt um you know people should know about but then you start going, yeah, but it's not going to, and that's not exactly the relationship we have with it. So I, so there was a, probably a handful of strategies across the spectrum, but Marika's right. That's the one that got the most traction because it felt like it leveled us up. So tell us, uh, tell us about where you ended up. So you, you go through these internal discussions, you explore some ideas, you, then you decide on where you're going to go. 
What did you decide on and why did it make sense? Well, we found our way back to the problem and trying to answer the move from value or quality to worth. What's the simplest way to get there? We started going, well, what if we, rather than go, okay, well, now worth is going to get us to this. Like, what is it about Shake Shack that makes it worth it? And like many of us strategists, you put the arrows out of each word and go, oh, let's talk about what makes it. And let's talk about the difference in worth and what it is. But I think I think it, it allowed us to just kind of ground ourselves in, um, in unpacking that phrase. Um, and that phrase start, can start from why it's worth getting going the extra mile f- to source these ingredients or have this commitment from an internal perspective. But it quickly then helps you move into like, why is it worth this hype, this drive? So, Marika, what about you? What do you um, What do you guys decide to do? How would you How would you describe your strategic recommendation? Yeah, well, I mean, and I think it, it like literally came down to us sitting in a room, and one of our brand managers had gone and waited uh, and gone to do the wait in the line and get Shake Shack for us, and someone asked, "Was it worth it?" And as we're all eating it, we were like, hell yeah. And so again, in in recognizing that we were going to be having conversations that should feel like word of mouth, that we were going to be talking to people who were already these like believers in and able to describe what worth it meant to them in the most ooey gooey, delicious ways possible, that worth it was really a, a, a strong jumping off point to bring the stand for something good philosophy of Shake Shack. And you can't see I'm creating these like two meeting points right now with my hands of where Shake Shack's commitment to the ingredients and the care and the effort and love that people who already know and get Shake Shack coming together. It just felt that like a perfect confluence of the two with, with something as simple as Shake Shack worth it. Do you remember in the early stages, was there like a headline that came out where you're like, oh, that's it? I mean, was there was there that sort of a, a moment in those early stages where you began to see the manifestation of worth in the way that you wanted to in creative ideas? Was there one that, like my headline that I read out at the beginning of the show, for me, I'm like, that's what drew me into this. And it, it still works against exactly what you're talking about of worth. Was there anything early on that sort of struck you as that's exactly the tone we want to strike? Well, yeah. I mean, I think, and I'll give credit to Zach and Marcus, who are, are are the ECDs on this that kind of really helped shape and define what the tone of voice would be. And I think Zach embraces a New York state of mind and it calls it like it is when it comes to the writing. But it was actually the the what I would call the anti-tagline of the the campaign of for what it's worth um where it felt like it was again leveraging language that we use in everyday life right before we're about to drop a knowledge or an opinion bomb uh but still managing to get just a little bit of humility in it beforehand and so when he started to think of lines like well for what it's worth and then drop a, a headline like you liked to me, it felt like, ooh, you're getting like just a little bit of humility with a truth bomb right after it. And I think that that as a, a writing exercise started to really unlock playful language across the board for all of our creatives as they were working on it. Interesting. Seth, anything that you remember from back then? Uh, for what it's worth, 
felt like a revelation and that doesn't always happen. And just like, you're, you're not sure you're doing the right thing along the journey. You're going, okay, I think I believe in this problem. I think I believe in this strategy. And when we started talking about for what it's worth, a lot of things just came together. Oh, you, all those points about word of mouth. Well, how do we speak in order to share these opinions? How could Shake Shack not be chess beating, but get credit the fact that chefs are into it, you know? And yeah. the difference between chefs love us, worth it. What? Stop yourself. For for what it's worth, you know who eats here? You know, you know who used to eat here? You're like, Tam, can't deny that. You know, well, and that's so I think interesting. That's, so you, I love that. So the, the 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 it's like if if you put the worth after the claim, it feels like it's arrogant, All right, right? So oh, chef chef uh, eats here, so it's worth it, rather than exactly. for what it's worth. That's an interesting play on that. That's great. That's great. Yeah, and so we've been spending. Yeah, and that's where the, yeah this the strate- the things we learn along that journey strategically come back and go. Oh, awesome. This might influence a line that you may like, Fergus, or might influence, you know, the way that we um, develop training programs with them that can be a little bit more, you know, definitive in saying like, yeah, no, what is it worth it about it? Let's talk about this, you know. One of the things that we talked about earlier in the episode was this idea that the brand had really grown the business through word of mouth. It had grown through earned media and exposure. But when you guys decide to do a brand campaign, it's sort of a different attitude that the organization has to have towards that. And I'm curious, did you have um, challenges doing that? Did you have sort of a champion that helped you through that process? Absolutely. Uh, so Mike McGarry brought us in, and we had the benefit of having worked with him in the past in our Coke days, so understanding how to do rigorous marketing, get through a system, but also find a way to get to good work uh, based on our gut. So he was definitely the shepherd uh, of the work, surrounded by Kristen, um, Jay Livingston, who's their CMO. Uh, And that crew had an infectious passion. And I think what they looked to their partners to do, which was us, uh, was to galvanize um, one with an objective, more objective point of view, how we might actually tell the story for the first time, as we probably mentioned, that land soul and sell in equal measures. Let's talk about how the campaign has rolled out. I believe it's a test market initially, right? And that's been happening over the the last uh, month or two or two or two or three. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, top line is uh, rolled out in Seattle. Uh, a lot of digital video, out of home. Um, it's in market currently. I mean, I just think that Seattle's a great test market. Um, they have a great culinary food scene um, that is really diverse. They've they've got two locations there, and if we can make it in Seattle and like have the impact that we have using a non traditional means of talking about quality, I think that's great. Great uh, evidence that it'll work for us nationally as well. The three of us can talk about what we can share on our website because I've seen a ton of work in some stuff that you sent me, uh, and I'd love people to be able to go on the site to see it all. Um, these headlines or some of these remind me of some of the 
um, I mean, the art of advertising is many times in headlines, and I love a lot of this work. So I'd love to be able to get it up for people to be able to see. So uh, it is thank you to Seth Gaffney. He is founder and CSO at Preacher in Austin, Texas, and Marika Wigan is head of strategy at Preacher in Austin. It's a pleasure to have had you both on. Thanks a lot for your time. So appreciated. It was wonderful chatting with you. Yeah, thank you. And we'll see everyone on the next episode.